welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hello, welcome to the podcast. This is Father Nathan. Father John, another... That was our 500th awkward introduction. That was great. Well done. Hey, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Father Nathan. <laughs> I can't wait to have you listen to this topic. That was more like it, so... We have the full. We got the full band here. Plus, uh, what's up, people? This is Father Mike and uh, the one and only coming back. It's been a while, but hello. This is Father Austin. Father Austin Litke has recorded. Jeez, when I was in Rome, uh, we did a couple of sessions together. Right? Yeah, four or six. Four or six. Yeah, that's right. They're always in evens, and so we are on conference here, Companions uh, Summer Conference. So we got all the boys here. Thanks for being with yeah, us. We got a. There's a crowd today. We got a crowd Woo! here. This is great and a it little terrifying. Nervous. Yeah, we've already said a couple of stupid things that we nervous. didn't record, which is great. Got those rough edges worked out. But yeah, we're up in Estes Park, Colorado at Annunciation Heights uh, Camp and uh, finishing off the last night of, uh, of a great conference that was led by Father Austin, which we're going to kind of unpack a little bit here tonight. So, but do you want to talk Sitting about at the top of a mountain? It's the feast of the transfiguration. That's right. It's just the right place to be. That's right. And the most important thing that happened today was the appearance of kitten pineapples. Kitten pineapples was un- was Gross. unveiled. Right. Gross. So if you want to see photos of this, you know, you just got to write into the Instagram and Facebook and uh yeah, but it'll it was, be on there. Father Nathan Goble in a full, well, so I, full cycling kit. Yeah, so I, I told myself that if I biked uh, 500 miles this summer, that I could actually get this uh, biking kit called Kitten Pineapples. Um, and uh, it came in uh, while I was on the fishing trip, and uh, I brought it up here, and it Maybe was it. everything I imagined and more. It was uh, far more than we all imagined, uh, including the size of the kitten heads, right? We were expecting kind of like tiny little kittens, and this thieves were like massive. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Blown up all over the place. And Father Nathan has, uh, has been riding long enough that he knows that his climbing helmet didn't really uh, work with biking. That's right. He wore this bright orange helmet that matched his uh, grapefruits on the thing or right. whatever. Yep. Were they oranges, grapefruits? Grapefruits. It was... Uh, yeah, wrong sport, but yep. the right mountains. Yep, you got to have... climb the mountains. It was crazy. If you're going to wear... a hard ride. If you're going to wear Father kitten John pineapples. Father does this thing where he's like, oh, I'll set the pace. I'll, I'll show you where to go, and it's, re- it's really going to be easy, and then leads us to the monster. That is true. It was... Uh, we had not ridden that part, and uh, it was it a 10% grade. Yeah. So Father Austin comes in a week ago from sea level. We throw him on a bike, and uh, what'd you think? Well, it was certainly my physical limit, but uh, I had a good domestique, showed me the way up, and uh, I only felt like dying about twice on the thing. And um, But uh, yeah, rather than walk, we just kind of said, no, we're going to finish this thing. So and we all finished. That was great. No, I, I, I did walk. I was, actually, I was actually walking faster with my bike than I was biking. <laughs> you were catching all of us. At one, you were actually gaining on us at one point. Yeah. So. yeah if ten- any person would have driven by with a truck and said... Do you need a lift? I would have said yes. Right. And, and if they said, I'll take you up for $20, I would have said yes. Because I was done. Well, part of the reason that, I mean, it was a 10% grade up this mile and a half, um, which is very steep uh, when you're biking. But what made it even worse was we had done about 25 miles before this, and we stopped in a lovely little village called Glen Haven, which has one shop. And on the outside of it said, fresh cinnamon rolls. Yep. Cherry cobbler, yep. and we just like went for it, and we paid the price. Yeah, it was the worst possible preparation for a ten percent grade climb. Good roll, but very good cinnamon roll. Delicious, yeah. Yeah, the so. cherry cobbler, like it was, it was all right. But then after biking straight up, like the the incline, that cherry cobbler was not sitting terribly well. No, so. There was one moment. It was a bit touch and go. I thought, uh oh, we're gonna see some cobbler here. It was like he's, we took a little break, and Father Austin was like, uh, uh, and I was like, oh, I know that breathing. I've been there before. I know it comes after that. Yep, it's gonna be no, kitten pineapple cinnamon roll cherry no cobbler combo. Yeah. No reappearances. Thank no, it was everything was kept in. So right. we also went out for a monster dinner last night, which was yep. amazing. 
Father Brady was sweating bullets. He's the moderator of the companions. And as the rounds were getting ordered, it was just like, uh-oh. So Yeah, he asked me, he goes, he said, uh, how much is this going to cost? And I said, Brady, it's once a year. <laughs> right. So we just didn't tell him. Right. And he was very kind. He just let us do it. Right. We pay because the- we have some special guests. Exactly. Like we have we have uh, on our companions conference. We were supposed to have uh, the St. Paul guys. This was supposed to be our our welcoming, you know, hospitality of all of them. Many of them haven't been to Colorado before, and due to COVID, they they couldn't come. But two other dioceses braved, you know, the airports and uh, other you know aerosols sprayed upon them by their fellow passengers and uh and they came out so uh we have st cloud diocese none of them none are in of the audience. here yeah none but but da, da, da. all four all four of joliet the, of the joliet guys who say that we've never given them a shout out but i mean i think that we've mentioned them on the podcast do you want to give them the first shout out then yeah so so we have in order of importance okay <laughs> uh father max uh, Father James, uh, Father Mike, and Father Michael, uh, they are uh, here from Joliet. They are the new foundation of the Companions of Christ. Yeah, Christ. woo! That's right. May 1st, right, was the day of the foundation of the um, third, third association. So you had the St. Paul Companions founded in 1992. We were founded in 2007, and now Joliet, Illinois... 2000, 2020. Was it 2020 or 2019? Oh, that'll be helpful. So these guys are great. They came back. You know, they they foolishly came to our a conference three years ago, where there was certain words and combination of words that were used during a euchre game against them. Right. And uh, they came back three years later. So you know, here we are. But we are just thrilled for you guys. And so is Sheila, who works in your chancery. Sheila. Sheila, right? So that's the one listener we know in Joliet, at least that I know of. She was okay. so excited. She, I don't think she knew that, you know, she was just like, oh, man, we need the companions in Joliet. And then she was talking to you, right, Max? Yeah. So so there you go. I've been listening to uh, the podcast since... Mike McMahon. Oh, yeah, Mike McMahon. Mike McMahon. Come on up here He's for a second, Mike McMahon. Penny Whistle Master. He's Mike, been listening since 2014. Mike McMahon uh, made a point to say... Um, he was just really, you know, it was a great conference, you know, Love good, good, good lectures, nice prayer. But just as a highlight, you tasted beaver nuggets. And, uh, I mean, it changes you. So what were your thoughts? I mean, today in our readings for the liturgy, it was just like from one glory into another. Oh. So from glory into glory. And um, when you hear nugget, you think like chicken McNugget. <coughs> uh, but that is not what they are. They're sort of like. Cracker Jacks, but in sweetness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're way better than caramel corn, but they have that going. So It's a golden nugget. Look so it up, you're guys. In the, you're in the Rockies here. He's yeah, got it's, a good radio a voice. Yeah. Fine gold. Thank you. I've got a face for radio, too, so uh, people have said that. Uh, Classic. Nice. All right, good man. Yeah, welcome, man. Wow. That was his moment. That was it. You did it. You Fun did it. Mike. Well done. And he nailed it. And you forced he nailed me to it. talk about a beaver nugget. I didn't. He, I didn't ask the leading question. You know what? He wanted to talk about beaver nuggets, probably, right? Yeah, that was him. No, I don't care. We also have a couple other uh, of our brothers here: Father Greg Peterson, Father Jason Wunsch, Father Joseph Lejoie. Wunsch says he's never actually been to a podcast. Is that actually possible? Number one. Welcome. I do listen. He does listen, and I'd like to point out that he was the instrument of torture behind that ride today. All right, so I'm not taking all the credit. Yeah, Wunsch is a maniac. He has a cliff bar a week, you know. We once asked Jason, what do you eat for dinner? And he said, I have a bourbon and a popsicle. That was uh, before he lived in community. So now Father Jason That's is living with, with Father Joseph and Father Mike and Father Brian uh, are all living together in the Companions House that's uh, come together in the last couple of months. Very exciting. I'm trying to think yeah. if there's any other news. You guys have been podcasting. I haven't been. Goble got a new pro vicar, new, yeah. a new surf. We missed we missed a week. Uh, we can't count, so we're, we do we do apologize. There was a week where we didn't have a podcast posted, uh, and I think it was because we we thought that we were ahead, but yeah. apparently yeah. when you ha- have to release a podcast every week, uh, you have to count the number of weeks since right. the last time you podcast. You also so. have to keep podcasting, right? Yeah. That's true. Right. Well, we I lost mean, the power cord. 
Yeah, we two lost times. The power. Two times we left the power cord at a different location. So uh, that's one of my goals for 2020 to just buy a second new power, power cord. cord. Is that a, or it's we a want, high goal. We I want mean, that exact yeah. same system that Olo has. Yeah, exactly. Olo's showing us up. Yeah, he came into town, right? Yep. We did a little podcasting with you. Yeah, we did. Yep. We both recorded with him. Where were you again? I was on retreat. Oh yeah. And you cool. know what I was doing on retreat? Oh my gosh. Dun, dun, dun. I was cooking vegetables, baby. Wow. Look at this. I showed up at this cabin, and Barb oh and gosh. Steve Golder shout out, thank you for the cabin, and thank you for teaching me. Can you explain this to the people? It's like a cookbook that says Catholic stuff you should know, how to cook vegetables. Right, because he didn't have a vegetable recipe. He knows how to cook mesquite chicken, but he doesn't I know. I thought he figured out how to do green beans with like the almonds. Open it up. You guys, you're going to, even you might. Goble, you might even learn something well, from this. It's glossy. Not don't not the back it's page. Open some... up the index. <laughs> it's very glossy though. No index. Wow. Oh yeah, this thing is. And <laughs> the the prayers. most important thing was the prayer before me eating, which was brilliant. I want to know what simus is. What is simus? Do you even know what that is? Simmies. Simmies. <laughs> The simmies. All right, this is dead air, but <laughs> maybe I'll look looking for the simmies. Yeah, T Z I M M E S. Did they actually take these pictures? Yeah, she did the whole thing. It's got photos. It's wow. got directions. It's amazing. Impressive. This is great. And are you going to use it? I had a very healthy retreat thanks to that. Wow. Yep. Cooking is actually not as scary as I thought, partially because a certain priest wasn't looking over my shoulder. Scaring not, me. Do about, okay, like in this, I think it's a gluten. Talking to the mic, Mike. Uh, I think it's a gluten environment thing. Uh, this cauliflower ra- rice, you know about that? Yep. Cauliflower you know about rice? That? Oh, I've heard about that. Are yeah. we thumbs up or thumbs down on the cauliflower rice? But I thought rice was gluten-free anyway. Yeah. I think people are confused. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it's just a, maybe it's just a health it thing otherwise. Be, yeah. A vegetarian thing? I don't know. Never heard of this, but that's cool. Obviously, I haven't tried. She also has the best... Best world's best potato salad, Goebel. Yes, it is. That says I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> and he will. Yep. So Barb and Steve Wilder, well, thank you for that's a lot of recipes. This is a gift to the uh companions and um it's pretty good. I'm trying to think of what like is there a bok choy? Bok choy. That might be that's one of my cool. favorites. Yep. An eggplant, is that a vegetable or a fruit? Uh, I don't know, kitten pineapples. Is that a vegetable or a f- was Gobel a vegetable Simis. or a fruit today? I don't know. All right. All right. Here enough we go. Of this Let's nonsense. do this. All right. Enough of this. All right. Enough, enough. of this banter. Enough of this banter. Of this I banter. like the vegetable thing. I wanted to show you that. That's excited. pretty cool. 13 minutes of banter. Come on now. Let's get down to it. Ready? I'm ready. We're going we're, we're gonna to get a little reprisal of uh, condensed version, Cliff Notes version of the conferences that we got with Father Austin this week on a certain topic. Without further ado. All right, just like jumping into that. Yeah, exactly. No. Um, so uh, the brothers here asked me to come give them their conference for the summer. And so just kind of thinking about that, you know, the, uh, the Companions of Christ are really founded to try and live within diocesan priesthood, uh, to live the, what we call the evangelical councils, to live poverty, chastity, and obedience in accordance with their way of life as diocesan priests. And so when they asked me, I'm a Dominican friar uh, who makes profession of the evangelical councils, uh, I was trying to kind of think about resources about how to speak about that. And uh, we Dominicans make profession according to the rule of St. Augustine. Uh, so St. Augustine who lives from 359 to 430. Um, and one of the things, among the many things he wrote, uh, was a rule for how monastics, people who live in a monastery, should live. And um, while he doesn't organize the rule around poverty, chastity, obedience, he talks a lot about those three topics. So what I did was try to kind of organize uh, a few conferences around each of those topics, and then um, a couple of conferences kind of at the beginning and end to kind of wrap the thing up. And I think one thing that really came out clearly just kind of in our conversations and the conferences themselves is that there's this deep emphasis uh, in the rule of St. Augustine that the reason that a Christian would want to come together and live in Christian community and try to live um, a robustly uh, consecrated Christian life um, is because the unity among Christians themselves as brothers and sisters in the Lord um, is a reflection of the unity that God is within himself as the Trinity in one God. 
and that when the community, when the Christian community is able to uh, give witness to that unity, then that is really um, a sign of God's presence within the church that way. And so anytime Christians get together and try to live in community, then uh, this principle is going to be kind of first and foremost in people's minds. One of the things uh, you said early on was the, um, that the rule of St. Augustine was written for lay people originally, right? So oftentimes you think, uh, one, one of the reasons I thought we need to talk about this tonight was that, um, you know, the majority of our listeners are, are lay faithful and they would think a rule of life is kind of something that's for monastic, religious, maybe priests. Uh, but in the early church, you had people who were consecrating their lives uh, to Christ and that he wrote this, I guess, as part of a letter, right? You'll probably explain that in a second and kind of introduce what he's doing to help um, lay people who wanted to live this life, but specifically women, right? Right. So... Yeah, so just to just to say, you know, in the early church, um, if people were going off and kind of living either in the desert or living in a monastery together and this sort of thing, they weren't becoming kind of professional religious people that way. They weren't part of the clergy. They weren't kind of uh, part of a different class of people. This was monasticism was a lay movement. These were lay people who wanted to follow Christ uh, with every aspect of their life. And so, you know, the earliest ones go out into the Egyptian desert and live in these caves and. Um, little huts and cells that they would kind of do this in. And um, it's only really kind of in the early Middle Ages that monasticism and clerical life really come together. And um, so at a certain point in Augustine's life, um, he, as a bishop in Hippo, is uh, seeing that these people want to kind of live in monastic community. And so he writes a letter to kind of give them the principles about how to live together in the monastic life. And we think that the earliest version of this letter was actually written uh, to women and potentially his uh, own sister and his cousins who were trying to live in a monastery somewhere within his own diocese, it seems. And um, But he writes uh, this letter and kind of gives these principles in eight different chapters uh, about how you would think about going about living uh, the monastic life. One important thing that I found is like it's not long. Mm. Like I mean, he was giving these principles, um, and if somebody were to say, "Yeah, would you give any tips for us?" Like it's not like he went through you know chapter verse, like taking you know every single possible thing. It was like it's divided into about six chapters, mm-hmm. and it takes about fifteen minutes to read, right. and that's nice. I mean, it was it was very helpful that you kind of extrapolated a little bit more, like, out of it, because uh, it, at first glance, it's like, wow, that's it? Like, in order to live well, that's all you need to know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I think, shorter than the rule of St. Benedict. Oh, yeah, by far. And uh, and you see in that that he's trying to just kind of give these principles that would be concretized in a particular community, and that's one of the kind of usefulnesses of the rule in its history, and that um, through the early church, and then particularly in the Middle Ages, when you had um, groups of priests who started taking on this rule to use, uh, around it kind of developed these customaries about, okay, so St. Augustine tells us that, you know, we should live a particular way, but how do we get down to the nitty-gritty about this, and how are we going to apply this here and there? And so that's what makes it a bit more plastic, um, and I think more useful over the ages. Can I ask, this is kind of skipping back to the mm-hmm. uh, question of the lay faithful, or um, just the reality that they were... Um, this was addressed to them. Right. Um, it seems like this has to do with like singles living together who have committed their life to Christ and then they're uh, living the Christian life. But I didn't get a sense that it was for to like directly for families or organizing family life. I mean, there's no mention of uh, children or how to relate to your spouse or something like that. I think it, 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 the points are relevant um, but in a derivative way. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can come back to that because we haven't actually talked about the content of the sure. rule. Um, but I'm curious about whether or not these principles can be applied by families. It's almost like kind of throwing it out there and then, you know, everybody who's listening, if you're in family life and uh, you have an experience of the evangelical councils or you have insights about unity, then you got to let us know. You know, mm-hmm. um, but maybe if after we go through the content, I might ask that question again. Like, how might this? Yeah. Be? So just to say that you know the rule is clearly written to people who are yeah singles, not in um, 
you know, who are not married people who are going to live in poverty, chastity, obedience in a really concrete way. And so it is a monastic rule in that sense. So to say that it's written for lay people just means it's it's not written for clergy, right. which is really something that only happens, say, in the kind of the ninth century and on, you know, and later. So I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. It's like monasticism as a lay movement primarily. And you get parts of this in the rule because they'll say, uh, St. Augustine will say over time, uh, a couple different times, uh, you know, certain matters need to be kind of kicked upstairs to the priest who has charge of you doing it that way. And so it clearly shows that this is for um, a lay community that way. But then the bigger point, and I think this is something that y'all have talked about on the podcast a lot, is just to say, well, if the evangelical councils are true, they're not just for monastics or professional religious people, but they actually speak to something essential for the Christian life. Yeah. And so particularly in the 20th century, we've discovered it's like actually every single baptized Christian in the call to holiness is called to live um, poverty, chastity, and obedience in accord with their state of life somehow. And so any time that a Christian is going to talk about these principles, hopefully there'd be something that would be useful for them that way. Now we're going to talk about the councils in the context of unity, or you presented it that way. Um, is that like like first priority, and then the, the councils come as a fruit of an attempt to really hold on to unity, and here's some advice about that? Or is it like this is the way... By living poverty, chastity, and obedience, we're going to facilitate unity and promote that. You see, like it's kind of mm-hmm. like two different directions. Yeah, I presume it's two sides of a coin. No, for sure. I mean, so you know, in the in the second paragraph of the first chapter of the rule, Saint Augustine just writes: the chief motivation for your sharing life together is to live harmoniously in the house and to have one heart and one soul seeking God. All right. So that, that really is kind of one of the great principles of Augustinian monasticism this way. And then each of the councils then, poverty, chastity, obedience, um, are going to facilitate that living of oneness in, you know, of mind and heart yeah. within the house that way. And so that's clearly how it's seen. But again, he doesn't organize the rule against the, around the councils. And so that was kind of the, uh, the structure that I put onto it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, there was enough to talk about, you know, over the days well, and it's about those things. That these are like significant categories within yeah. the rule. Just to pause on that last thing you said here before we move into some other stuff, because I think, Mike, that's an interesting question. When we say that this is a rule that was written for lay people, uh, we're not saying uh, married lay people. We're saying uh, consecrated lay people mm-hmm. in, in an early form, you know, that. but it wasn't uh, clerics, so to speak. Um, it was people who desired to give life. Now, the question of does this apply? Well, strictly speaking, you couldn't live this rule as a family because it's for consecrated people, not for married. But certainly, the principles still apply, as you guys just said. And I think that first—I mean, which family? What Catholic family would not want this? You know, that first line: the chief motivation for your sharing life together is to live harmoniously in the house and to have one heart and soul seeking God. It's like I think most serious Catholics. That's like, yep, that's it. And uh, the first takeaway I think for me personally this week was when you laid out. Um, actually you did it before and then I stole it for the homily that I gave before your first conference, which was great. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, that unity is in God. Christian unity is in God. So if your family feels like it's a mess and it's falling apart, but it's, it's a place of faith, um, baptized faith, uh, then have some confidence that it's not so much the quality of your relationships uh, that holds it together, or even the kind of, I don't know, just kind of giftedness you have for running a good household. And for us as companions, that was very consoling, just to be like, do we trust enough in God that the unity of our association, which uh, feels like a lot of bros sometimes, and feels like a family, um, is actually... Something that we uh, are trying to conform our life to, but we don't have to perform in order to make make real or make possible. So, no, and I think that's one of the essential points. I think in Christian life in general, but particularly, you know, when it becomes uh, more acutely uh, lived out within consecrated life, is that you see that. Um, yeah, if we're left to ourselves and try to be kind of one among ourselves, then we're going to be disappointed. It's going to be defective because we're limited creatures, sinful creatures with real weaknesses. But if we're all kind of seeking God together, uh, the closer we get to him, the closer we get to each other. You know, And this is a basic Christian principle, but it's certainly very uh, deeply Augustinian as well, because especially another principle that's related to this is just that for St. Augustine, you know, the love of God and love of neighbor are really just kind of two sides of the same coin, such that 
um, you really can't love God if you're not loving your neighbor. And you really can't love your neighbor if you're not loving God because God in and of himself just is love. And, um, uh, and he's the source of that. And he's what's going to bring people together in that sense. Good. Let's talk about the council. Nobody's, uh, nobody's talking over there. So we'll, uh, we'll keep swapping the mic here. Well, I don't want to, yeah. I, I mean, I want him to be able to present like on the topic. Yeah, but he's, he's get, this is a conversation we're having here. Well, I you know, know that, but so like... This is not a talk that he's giving, you know? Right, but at some point he has to af- actually like get into what is the structure of the of the rule and give some points because we've kind of referenced the rule and we read one little paragraph, but like it'd be helpful if, if he kind of gave an, an overview. It'd also be helpful if we let him decide what Look, he wants to do. Oh How does that sound? Okay. okay, children. You're like All right. grandma. Grandma and grandpa. <laughs> I'll tell hey, I'll hey, tell hey, hey. Right now. <laughs> Break it up. Okay, so I, my worry would <laughs> would be uh, letting it digress into a... Um, Bunch of questions. Uh, well, no, like a presentation like of the principles of a, a Vagrius Ponticus, <laughs> yeah. where there's eight and then we get through two. Sure. <laughs> Okay, if you, you remember, well, that, let's do this then. Do let's do this. Do. All right, no, ready? I mean, that's well, no. Well, John like, knows what I need to be doing. <laughs> <we're> over, <laughs> but apparently, like, you don't know what you need to be doing. Obviously. We're already obviously. In unity in God. Okay, we're obviously. Good at, we're good at listening. All right, very good. Just so, yeah. So let's just, yeah. So let's we're just on, go through. We're on other sides of a couch that goes all the way around. Indeed, just to give you the the mise en place. Yeah. Um, so what, why don't we just go through each of the councils and hopefully we can get done before all the ticks are gone here. Good. All right. Um, so we'll just begin with obedience then because that's what we began with in the conferences. And I think a couple of the things to say there is that um, while within religious life and then even just kind of within Christian life, we often think of obedience as something that uh, I as one individual Christian kind of might be obedient to say a spouse or to a boss or to some other kind of superior within my life that way that uh, first and foremost, obedience is something that we owe to God, and that uh, particularly within a religious life, a consecrated life, uh, that obedience to God that I first and foremost owe um, is mediated then by my superior, and such that, and, and all for the sake of uh, a deeper following of Christ. So rather than just kind of organizing a community such that, you know, the person on top is the one that kind of dictates what everyone else does, it's actually we're all seeking God together. And the place of the superior then is to organize a life and to challenge uh, the people who are trying to live that life um, to seek God and to and to live that way. And so our obedience becomes, again, less the kind of uh, fight, fighting out of two different human wills, but it's actually my human will trying to be united to the will of God. And so uh, when you put it in those terms, then Christ becomes uh, the pattern of this. So Christ who takes on human nature and who n- unites that human will most perfectly to the divine will, just him, uh, the subject of Christ, just being uh, uh, the divine person. Um, and so I just think it kind of recasts the way that we might naturally think about obedience that way. Yeah, everybody signed up for the same thing. Um, we're all following a leader, but it's not... Uh, it's not a particular, it's not the particular superior at first. It's like every individual is trying to, uh, do the will of God and, um, work in obedience to the call that each of us has received to be disciples of Christ. And we're helping each other along the way. And a a superior is there to kind of help facilitate that. But everyone's agreed upon, this was interesting to me. It's not their first agreed to do what somebody tells them is they're agreed to living a common way of life um, as a way of helping each other to fulfill their own kind of individual mission. I don't want to make it too individual. Does that? I would also say that I, I think this, this, this point is important because in the church where most Catholics seem to approach it as kind of a sociological phenomenon, you know, it's a collection of individuals that for some reason is still hierarchically constructed and really should be democratic at this point. Uh, and to say, no, 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 obedience is something that happens in the church, but to God. Uh, it's not something that's just like the Pope, the bishop, the priest, you do what we say. You know, it's not this is kind of, and everything right now is being deconstructed according to a power hermeneutic. I mean, in our whole society, everything is collapsing because it's all Nietzsche at this point. Um, and it's like, we have to get back in touch with God and that God works through the church, uh, through Christ and that this rule of life, everything is it, that it is possible to f- set yourself in obedience to a, a person, a human person, and to be obedient to God through that. Yeah. You know, it's not something that's disconnected from the church. 
And we yeah. have a saying, at least in our, I don't know if it's statutes or uh, of the companions, that the moderator is the one who is the guardian of the life. So we actually want uh, somebody who's like overseeing the the care of the the persons, so that all persons are pointed in the right in the right direction. And if somebody kind of misaligns. Uh, it's not just going to you know affect that person, but it's also going to affect multiple persons. And so, in obedience, you're not just saying no. That's that's what I want you to do. So so do this and not that. It's actually no. This is what common life determines, and the the moderator is just the one kind of calling out directions. It's helpful. Yeah, and so there's a great part of the rule. This is chapter seven, paragraph three, where it says your superior should regard himself to be fortunate as one who serves you in love not as one who exercises authority over you. Accord him the first place of honor among you, but in fear before God. He shall lie prostrate beneath your feet. And so there's this deep sense that um, within the rule that the superior is not just this autonomous person who gets to dictate everything, but that he himself uh, or she herself and within a women's monastic community or something is uh, also obedient to the way of life and to God and to the community in a real sense. And so there's a great kind of symbiosis of different kind of obediences that run here, but that are not just, <clears throat> like you said, the kind of power dynamic uh, of, of different wills just kind of uh, beating up against each other and seeing who's going to win this way. And so I think you see a deeply Christian and kind of pre-modern sense of obedience, which we would probably do better to try and inculcate a bit more that way. Um, I don't know, were there other parts of obedience that you all found helpful? Well, I just want to um, bring up another example, possible example. Do you think of like the parish, right? You do have um, the rightful authority of a pastor that's very important for the organization of the parish, for the care of the souls in the parish. Um, It's meant to be seen as a community that has uh, the buy-in from everyone, there isn't like the, I hear people say this, like the priest, you're the priest, you're supposed to be the good one. You're supposed to be the holy one. You're supposed to be the one that's really committed to these things. And that's not the case. It's like every Christian is supposed to be striving for holiness, seeking holiness, like, uh, like the priest, like the pastor. And, um, and there's a sense of um, just like investment and initiative that needs to come from everybody. That's not to say, you know, you start the group that your pastor doesn't want. Um, or insist on some detail about the liturgy or something. It's just don't see the pastor as the 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 one who's um, the only one here who like knows um, uh, or is kind of seeking the the highest good, and then uh, has to dictate everything. It's even a burden on pastors sometimes when people are expecting you tell me what to do, you tell me everything to do. Um, so I think there's um, it's just that kind of question of community. And part of the unity comes from, well, let's all be helpful toward each other. And then that kind of docility of, let me be helpful toward the end of the parish, the way that the the pastor sees it kind of fit, is out of charity to everyone there. It's not just out of like um, duty to this one character, but it's out of love for the the whole, you know, the whole community traveling together in, in a certain direction toward heaven. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. There's anything else on obedience you want to? Lots, but there's lots to say. Keep moving. Okay, I just want to make sure. All right, yeah. I just want to make sure. You know? No, but I mean that's a nice point to kind of segue to talk about chastity a bit. Um, is to say that uh, one of the big elements of um, yeah, please refresh Father John's drink while we. Uh, <clears throat> while everyone else does the work. Yeah, that's good. Um, you can say what you want. Okay. Yeah, keep going, Austin. I really appreciate this point that you're making. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so that within, in trying to live chastity within the rule, uh, what you don't get in the rule of Augustine is kind of like, as a consecrated celibate, you are not allowed to do X, Y, and Z forever, you know? Um, but what do you get? You get, look, you've dedicated to a particular way of following Christ. And within the context of the community, there are going to be certain ways that the community and the way of life that we've professed together is going to protect that desire, you know? And so he begins by talking about modesty and the way that you comport yourself in public, um, always trying to go out with a prudent companion, you know, to kind of keep you on the straight and narrow, in a sense. Um, if you can't find a prudent companion, like, <laughs> just go with somebody. He got to the mic before. Yes! <laughs> he got on that one. Yep. Well, I think, you know, you find what you can. It says if you go, if you go out, 
from the enclosure go together. That's right. Wherever you are going, stay together. Yeah. And I thought that was really that was really interesting. Like, like you 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 make the point of uh, of traveling as a group, and sometimes it's like, well, we can get more done if if I go do this and you go do that. But uh, you're more easily picked off, and not just like you're gonna get into bad stuff or whatever, but like. There is a joy in traveling with somebody, mm-hmm. and, and and I've even found that like with errands and everything, it's like, hey man, I need to go to Target. It's like, oh yeah, I'll go with you, and then you actually share that experience together. I find if I go grocery shopping, I buy myself. I'm like putting like El Fudge mint chocolate chip cookies in there for no reason other than just like, oh that sounds kind of good. I just need somebody. So. Yeah. No, that's right. And so I think you see this kind of communal nature of doing something that's rather personal, the living out of chastity, um, but that you see in the organization of a rule of life for Christians kind of say, no, 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 there's a certain custody that we have of each other. And this extends to the whole Christian life, but particularly in this uh, this realm of our life um, that comes out in the rule of Augustine. I thought it was just kind of an interesting and helpful point. And so particularly within uh, the context of consecrated uh, celibates within the priesthood. Th- again, I think we can we can get into this as like, well, we've made this promise, you keep it, do what you, you know, don't do what you're not supposed to do, and let's just keep on going. It's like, no, 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 there's a lot more consideration that has to go into this. Yeah, it. I think that it's more rooted in the, the flourishing of a good than the protection of something, like keeping something bad out. Mm-hmm. You know, like your eye is meant for seeing, and you'd certainly want to keep like stuff out of your eyes, like keep the negative out. But there's also a way in which it's like, what is the faculty that you've been given for the sake of loving? You know, it's your heart. And so don't allow these other things to prevent your heart from being led astray. Just keep seeking seeking the good. And I, I thought that was a, a, a better way than at times where it's just like, don't do this. After this hour, certainly don't do this. And, uh, I mean, he's, he's writing, you know, a very short chapter, but I would say every line, I'm like, man, I needed to hear that. Yeah, it's just continuing that, it's uh, such a beautifully positive portrayal of what chaste love is. And, and anybody who's read Augustine's Confessions, you know, it's, this is coming out of a, a, like a deep personal place. And this was a, a, a hugely converted area of his heart, that, uh, something that God won back for himself and uh it's part of the patrimony that we receive in the church is Augustine's chase love and his ability to speak to that so he's got this like he's very kind of strong on practic on on the practicalities but there's beneath it is this really beautiful vision of it's better to do these things together right not because i need a guy to police my life but because um i'm different when i'm around the brothers um and it's more integrated and more authentic because it's it's who i am Right? They remind me that, hey, you're a priest. You can't relate to this woman this way or whatever it might be. And that it's better to be seen. Um, and then the last thing I would say, you had a great line. You had some real one-liners, um, which I heard were actually stolen. So you might have to give credit to this one. But you said, virginity is not something to be lost. It's something to be learned. Mm-hmm. I stole that. Yeah. Stole that. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll give you credit today. Um, but I, that just shows, you know, and that's specifically talking about those who are of us who are consecrated to the Lord in the in our virginity that it's it's not this like oh you uh just couldn't get a girlfriend huh so you became a priest it's like well so you just decided to be chaste and it's like no this is actually something uh that we chose and that we're learning and that we're continuing to grow into and deepen in and it's the same for the kind of spiritual virginal love of married people right there's something that's real there that has to be learned and demonstrated so very positive yeah. i was in, i was impressed with the um the simple practicality of it you know, he says, watch out um, if you've got the roving eye. Yeah. He's talking about the roving eye, mm-hmm. you know, that sneaky little glance that everybody knows. I mean, like, we're smart monkeys. We got uh, concupiscence. Like, this is very natural for us, given, you know, millions of years of evolution that trains us to um, not watch the roving eye, yeah. but that it's helpful. So, and then it, it just it's a slippery slope and you see this everywhere as confessors. We know this, you know, it's the little things that pile up and get the momentum going. So before the rock slide happens, 
if you see a pebble moving, you just have someone there who can say, oh, hey, you know, and, um, and if you don't have somebody there, like I'm very good at self-deception and I can say, yeah, yeah, but that's not, that's, this is worse. You know, I can imagine something that's worse, but you know, once the ball starts rolling, it's trouble. Yeah. No, there's this helpful distinction that uh, St. Augustine makes in chapter four, and this is paragraph four. And he says, when you see a woman, do not fix your eyes on her or on any woman. You're not forbidden to see women when you're out of the house. It is wrong, however, to desire women or to wish them to desire you. Lust for women is mutually stimulated not only by tender touches, but by sight as well. And he kind of goes on about the psychology of chastity, such that he's like, I'm not saying you have to kind of put the blinders up or never leave the walls of the monastery. Um, but it, but there is a, something different between kind of seeing and interacting with other people and then kind of fixing your heart and fixing your mind, fixing your eyes on them. And again, like Father John was saying, it's just like, this obviously comes out of St. Augustine's own personal experience. He knows the difference in his own heart. And it's really interesting is that in the moment of his conversion, uh, the desire to live consecrated chastity kind of came at the very moment that he was converted to Christ and converted to the church uh, at the same moment. And so you see that this is kind of, like you said, Father John, it's just like this deep part in his heart that had to be converted to Christ. And then once he was kind of able to turn that corner, it was something he had a lot of experience with and had a lot of reflection upon and that he's really given to the church. And you actually said that it was it's one of the central greatest moments in Western civilization is the conversion of St. Augustine. Not just like his writings or whatever, but like the fact that he actually converted. Sure. Um, And it's beautiful because kind of like what John was saying, that um, God used his faculty that was going towards the wrong things, converting it, it was now directed towards the right things. And it wasn't just that he knew, like, I, I can't do these other things because I'm not going to be able to write, I'm not going to be able to teach, people won't take me seriously. It was that he he used the sort of compass needle, instead of pointing it towards something else, just be like, I'm heading towards God. I want to be one heart seeking God. And and um, and that, that, I mean, we're the inheritors of that. And how many other people would be affected if there were more conversions, in just somebody's backyard below a pear tree, right? Isn't that when it happened? So, I mean, we just need more people to, like, give their lives more fully to Christ. And these other things, like, uh, they'll fall into place. Yeah, that's right. No, so within the rule, you kind of get, yeah, this deeply personal psychology of chastity, which I think, again, has this kind of positive element to it, but then also has the sense that the community, one of the functions of the community is to really give custody and to protect this really great good in the hearts of the members of the community. Um, I think we don't have a huge amount of time here, right? So we want to go on. They're not even paying attention, so, you know, you can say whatever you want. That's fine. Quit playing around with the thing. <clears throat> We're using one microphone. It's dangerous because you right. could have bloopers. Okay. Like well, knock heads. All right. Let's, let's, okay. Let's, let's just speak uh, briefly about poverty then. Um, I think one of the really interesting things, because in the history of religious life, how a particular community um, uses resources, uses things of the world um, in trying to follow Christ who himself lived in poverty um, is one of the biggest kind of uh, controversial things that happens within uh, religious life. And so um, what's interesting about St. Augustine's way of thinking about it is that poverty is not this sort of end in and of itself. It's not this way. It's like, I'm going to kind of divest myself of the world's goods as much as possible and kind of give witness to a total dependence upon God. That could be an interesting project. And there are certainly religious orders that try and do that. But for St. Augustine's mind, poverty has this uh, function of equalizing the community. Mm-hmm particularly of people who come out of various different backgrounds, uh, particularly in the ancient world where the rich and the poor were much greatly, much more greatly uh, distanced than uh, in the modern world because there was no such thing as a middle class back then. So you really had the sort of aristocratic class and the poor servant class, and both of whom would have been entering the monastery at the time. And so he's like, how am I going to get these people to live in one mind and one heart, particularly when it comes to uh, experience of and use of the things of the world. He said, well, we're going to live in poverty to imitate the first apostles in particular. So the apostolic community we read about in Acts chapter four, they shared all things in common. And what does this do? This makes them all equal, such they have to depend on the community and depend on each other. And this is significant of our deep existential uh, dependence upon God for his grace and for the life that we've uh, given ourselves over to. So it's a very different way of looking at poverty. And uh, I think that's one of the kind of great 
essential elements of Augustinian religious life. He had something to say. I mean, he goes into um, just like an address to the rich and an address to the poor. And I tend to think of it as a matter for the rich, you know, get rid of the things that you have. Um, And he does say that. He says, like, don't get rid of the things that make you better or more honored or more privileged than the, you know, the other brothers. But he also calls on the poor. And I found that interesting. He's asking for them to uh, divest their ambition. Yeah, that's right. Try, you know, forget about your desire to, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and like, you know, kind of make yourself or um, see this as the great honor. Now you've reached the company of these nobles or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and try to kind of use the community to have things that you wouldn't have had in the world otherwise. You know, it's like you've missed the point of what, what we're doing here. We're actually coming into this place, coming into this form of life so that we can totally and radically depend upon God upon Christ, upon his church, and upon each other. And this creates this equality, uh, which allows oneness of mind and heart to be to be lived out. And it's not to say that it's necessarily bad to be um, to admire other Christians and then to want to join their company, right? I think that's, that's okay, um, as long as you're not doing it for the wrong reasons, maybe. And, um, yeah, I mean, I see this, like, even in parochial life, you know, if it's rarely cool to uh, to convert and then be in the company of cool people, but we have lots of cool Catholics in in Colorado, and you wonder sometimes, you know, like, are you just joining that parish? Are you just, you know, in that community for the sake of feeling that feeling of being um, like one of this, you know, group that you admire? And I don't know that it's necessarily bad to. Um, relate to the companion, join the companion, join the Dominicans, um, because there's admiration, but something has to be converted there in order to be free and to be equal, you know, to find yourself as a peer and find yourself as an equal eventually. This question of equality that you stressed um, in the conference this week is really interesting to us, you know, that the more that we live poverty together, the more that we grow in this equality, which is something of the unity of the life, right? And uh, as you just said, that that poverty is giving a visible expression, whether you're doing this as a married person or you're doing this as a priest or religious, uh, consecrated, uh, poverty is giving visible expression to something that is an existential fact, right? That we all are poor in the sense that we're limited and confined and we don't hold ourselves in existence. Everything that we are right now is being held in existence by God. Every good act that we do, we're not the primary agent of that act, right? That's that, that God is doing everything. Uh, so g- it gets us in touch with the reality of what we are. And the more that we do that, the more that we kind of come to live in that unity. And then there's that great line, which I find a bit haunting, actually, um, from the rule, which was, it's better to need less than to have more. And I was like, oh, that one just kind of right into the right into the gut. Um, play that against this kind of postmodern socialism that we're living in, right? Jason Wunsch, he brought this. We were on a ride one time, and you brought this to my attention. Jordan Peterson sees that as kind of the dominant ethos in the universities that's forming all of the next generation, right? You think of how socialism thinks of equality, which is that we have to take from the rich and make the poor rich, right? We have to elevate everything. And this is just, that's why it's so, it's such an inversion of the faith, right? And all of this kind of socialist power principle uh, that's being played out in our culture right now, it's like, it really is the exact opposite in antithesis of the Christian sense of how poverty creates equality, which is what you've been presenting. So, Can you say something? Um, I know, well, it's not time. We keep talking about time. Um, can you say something about asceticism? And its relationship to poverty, and then I mean, we're we're frequently addressing this like question and this maybe temptation in ourselves of this, um, what do you call it? Like uh, weight weight room uh, Catholicism or athletic muscular, muscular Catholicism? Yeah. Moral so how is moral athleticism is my version of that? And, term, and yeah. I thought you you made good points about how this asceticism, and particularly that it's a means to an end. It's not an end yeah. in itself. Can you say something about the? Well, I just think asceticism. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we talked about asceticism kind of in the context of chastity, actually. Just like mm-hmm. you know, the uh, particularly the connection between living chastity and fasting within the Christian tradition. But uh, a number of times that theme came up, though, that there's a sort of asceticism 
that is implied in the rule that the less that I need the goods of the world, the less that I need uh, the kind of affection of other people, the less that I need the use of my own autonomy, the closer I'm getting to this ideal that I'm trying to live out, you know? And so all, and so the, the councils become this ascetical practice in, in, um, uh, training and disciplining those basic desires for external goods, affection of other people, the use of my own autonomy. And so you see that that's kind of an implicit thing within Augustine, that he just want, he, he wants to develop a life that's going to uh, discipline those things and bring them into continuity with Christ's own obedience and poverty and chastity. And what that looks like is a lot of times going without, or it looks like uh, renouncing the real goods that we find within our human nature and within the world for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of union with God and for the sake of heavenly life. Because in heaven, we will have nothing. You know, we take nothing with us. Uh, in heaven, we're not married or given in marriage. And in heaven, we're totally united to the divine will and totally obedient to God the Father. Uh, and so the life of the councils is an anticipation of that heavenly life that we're all called to. And that requires yeah, a kind of a chastening of our desires that way. Not in the sake of just kind of, yeah, white-knuckling and doing something tough for God, but in actually allowing ourselves to be conformed to the life that he created us for and has invited us into. Yeah, the uh, history of Christian art has halos, you know? It's the glow of Jesus. This is the heavenly one mm-hmm. that we see. And that's something like we're thinking on today and praying on with the transfiguration, that, um, that he's, he's showing us heaven. He's showing us himself, um, this perfection of human beings. And then the saints, in their conformity to Christ, share in that heavenly life. They somehow have one foot or one toe or one, you know, they've been there and back. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we represent that with this glow. And, um, and th- I think that is, there's, a, there's a promise held out for us that is a beautiful thing. You know, you live for something other than the world and even though we don't see this kind of thing, this has an effect. It brings light into people's lives. It has an effect on the people around us. And it really f- facilitates that unity, which radiates. You know, a community living together, loving each other, radiates the presence of God, the reality of God. Um, you used quotes that, that spoke of the unity of God, mm-hmm. not broken. Right. And um, it brings heaven to earth. You know? Yeah, and so another example that I used uh, over the week, too, is just that in the early, early formation of the Order of Preachers by St. Dominic, um, that when he was talking about the, um, the mission of the order was to be the sacra predicatio, the sacred preaching. And what he meant by that was the life that was lived out in the convent, lived out in the religious house, more so than what was done in the pulpit or what was done in the street that way. He said that we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to give witness to God's love and give witness to the gospel more by the life that we live here, living in poverty, chastity, obedience with each other and one mind and one heart in the house. That's going to be our preaching. And then from that is going to flow what we say in the pulpit or in the classroom or on the street or whatever else otherwise. And so I think this is a point that can really be shared by any Christian in that sense then, in that the life that we live, like you're saying, Father Mark, it's just that uh, the Christian life, when it's lived robustly and blessed by God, becomes its own kind of preaching. Yeah, the life is as preaching. Now, Father Austin is a Dominican. At the end of their name, they have the, the OP, the Order of Preachers. Mm-hmm. So, um, this this question of what, what does it mean for us to be the Order of Preachers and what does preaching look like? It's that love for the brothers and that common life in the house rather than the soapbox, you know. Um, that's beautiful. I never knew that. That was, that was really profound. So uh, we've got to wrap it up here. Okay. Coming up on the hour. It's always tough when you have four people because right. normally you're just kind of bouncing back and forth. But, you know, right. I think we want to keep it in the hour mark. Right. You know, a lot of people are mowing their lawn or doing laundry or cooking vegetables. And, you know, we just want to make sure that, you know, it's not, it's not too much. I, I totally bite agree. Size, I feel like, I feel like there was just this harmonious spirit between yeah. us. Do you I feel that? Feel mm. it. Oh, my God. I'm just feeling it. Yeah, it's, mm. just, it's just warm. It's like pineapples and kittens together. Mm, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Do you have any final comments, thoughts on the rule uh, before we go to shout outs? Just kind of general final thought. But don't oh. take my word for it. <clears throat> um, ooh, final word. Uh, 
yeah, for Augustine, loving God, loving your neighbor, they really come down to being the same thing. And this is nothing more than the teaching of the first letter of John. You know, it's like, who can say that he loves his brother, if you're, that I love God if you're not loving the brethren this way? And so a really good litmus test is that um, to say, how am I treating people? How am I living in charity or not? And you might think that you have this kind of great me and Jesus relationship and kind of think about the spiritual life and the Christian life as if it's just kind of going mm-hmm. along that way. But it's like, no. Uh, if you're actually connected to the source of love and the source of charity, then that's going to manifest itself in some particular way in your life. And if it's not, then you have to return to him and say, uh, I'm broken, I'm weak, I need your grace, I need your charity, I need your love to infuse my heart. And so I think um, any pursuit of the Christian life has to come down to that principle. And St. Augustine is certainly one of, uh, you know, one of the kind of classic ways to think about that and the religious communities that have kind of stemmed from that. And so I think in that sense, it's always something that we can bring ourselves back to in prayer and in our self-examination um, to ask the Lord for a great, because we're never going to be perfect at that either, uh, this side of heaven. And so this is what we're, we're going after. Um, but rather than thinking about the Christian life as kind of self-help, moral athleticism, uh, rubber stamp, just kind of approval from God, it's like, no, here's the real dynamic. And I think St. Augustine helps us see that. I thought it was a great point that you concluded with in the conferences that you said you can't tune two pianos off of each other. Mm-hmm. You need a tuning fork to be able to kind of listen what is the pure note that we both need to tune to, which means that one may be flat and the other may be sharp, which means one needs to loosen and the other needs to tighten. But you won't know that unless you have this. So I think that the rule is very helpful because um, everybody needs something to reflect off of, and the scriptures are that for us. But then in the tradition, we have these these uh, different writings, and it's just like, well, how am I living this? Um, and But if you just do yourself, it's helpful when you start looking at other persons as well and be like, this is how they live it, or this is how I'm not living the way that they are. So um, I, I would certainly give it a two thumbs up. And I stole that example from a Baptist preacher in Hawesville, oh, Kentucky, yeah. just to be really clear. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, thanks for a great week and a great night tonight. I think, uh, yeah, we have Before just... shout out. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, <laughs> like us on Facebook, but more importantly, um, download the Rule of St. Augustine. It yeah. is really easy. It's really short. It's really accessible, and it's really beautiful and wise. So, And um, maybe we'll share the conferences, uh, the audio recordings. Ooh. Oh, wait, we didn't record them. That was such a... Ah. So, this is what you got. You got the condensed version. Uh, we do have it recorded. You did? Oh, Joliet. Miracle. Joliet saving us again. Okay, shout outs, boys, and let's wrap it up. Well, we want to give a shout out to the, the Joliet companions and their parishes. So, uh, I, I call them by their first name. So, then uh, Father Baina, uh, Father Growth, Father McMahon, and Father Guaracio. Guaracio? Whatever. So that their parishioners are actually going to know who they are, and now they're going to come to them and be like, elucidate us in the art of communal living, according to St. Augustine. So good luck, guys. Yeah, and I have a few. I've uh, So I just moved back to the United States from being in Rome doing doctoral studies, and I'm going to start teaching at the Dominican House of Studies, and I've been meeting a lot of the student brothers, uh, some of them for the first time. And um, just anecdotally, uh, there's, there's a handful, a number, actually more than a handful, I would say maybe more than a dozen uh, listeners to the podcast. So just a, a shout out to the, the brothers of Dominican House Studies in Washington, D.C. who are listening and uh, uh, look forward to being with you guys this year. The last one I have is uh, we came here uh, to Annunciation Heights and there was a, a guy by the name of Aaron Alford who is a Gallup seminarian here with uh, Father Josh nice, Mayer. Nice and uh, he, he was like, wow, like I've been listening to the podcast for a really long time. So it's just nice to meet uh, new people. He's uh, going to be in spirituality here this year with Father Wagner. So uh, to to uh, Aaron Arf- Aaron Alford from Gallup. He's originally from Canada, but uh, great dude. Yeah, looking forward to having nice him in beard, Denver. Nice beard, nice good looking beard. I'd like to give a. Uh, I had a great two weeks in Crested Butte. I was covering the parishes uh, Crested Butte, Gunnison, and uh, Lake City, and just ran into some. Um, there was a lot of like random people just camping and passing through, and so I'd see at my mass, and they would come introduce themselves. So, for all those people that I met in Crested Butte, for the community up there, it was a great two weeks. Especially Thomas Bayer, who I, uh, a guy that I knew from Denver, and finally got to meet and went mountain biking with him and his son, and got just rocked. It was awesome. So, did you ride great. the chairlifts? Uh, we did not. With the mountain bikes? Not with the mountain bikes. They they were shut down. 
for oh, a, yeah. I so, see. but yeah, we had some great trails at Crestview. So, I want to shout out Eliza Fulton, who is the holiest Catholic in Arkansas. I did a wedding for uh, Britt and Marty Murad, and one of Marty's sisters goes to the University of Arkansas, and she told me to shout out her friend who loves the podcast and is the holiest Catholic in Arkansas. Arkansas. Nice. Excellent. Well, boys, thanks for being with us tonight. Great to be together. Father Austin, thanks for a great week. Father Nathan, thanks for just loving God and your neighbor. Thanks for just being you, Father Father John. Just so grateful, folks. If cook some cook vegetables. some vegetables, people. It's a great night. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Yep. We'll see you next week. Stay frosty.